0: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate and, in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco.
1: Thank you for being with us today. At this hour, meet a top real estate duo, Joanne Douglas and Alfred Renna. They wrote a book that will bring readers along on an engaging and often hilarious journey into the world of New York real estate, an accounting that is more expose, I love that word, expose, than a how-to. Negotiating New York Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Real Estate will have you glued to the pages from start to finish as you delve into the outrageous antics and adventures these two share as they travel from New York to Italy to the Hamptons and start all over again. Also at this hour, the number of sales in Manhattan in the first quarter of 2018 dropped 25% below the same period a year ago to a level of decline not seen uh, since the early days of the Great Depression nine years ago. Translated, we are in a buyer's market. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am your host, Vince Rocco. And in the news this morning, Town Residential, the brokerage founded by Andrew Heiberger that at its height was home to nearly 600 agents is shutting down its resale and leasing business, this according to the real deal. The firm says it will continue to work in new development operating out of its 888 7th Avenue office. After a thoughtful review of the marketplace, town residential will be ceasing uh, resale sales and leasing operations and focusing on international and new development, this according to a spokesman uh, from the firm telling the real deal. In Manhattan, Mayor Bill de Blasio has announced that in just a few months, Central Park will permanently become car-free, as of June 27th, the final loop drive in the park that are currently open to traffic cars and traffic will close to cars permanently and for good. The mayor says the move will, return the, to, will turn the park to its original purpose as a recreation space, helping more than 42 million people who use the park each year to enjoy it without the pollution and safety issues that have been concerns for years. However, the transverse roads cutting across the park at 97th, 86th, 79th and 65th Street will not be affected by these changes. Comments on that? I mean, you know, I i like the idea. It, it makes sense to keep cars out of the park, but how are you going to do that? I mean, is it going to interfere with stuff?
2: Of course. Of
3: course it will, yeah.
2: Mayor de Blasio. <sighs> I kind of
3: have to get my head around that idea, I know. to be honest. So there are I mean, cars the in through the park. I the throughfare, the throughways. I, I well, but use, on all the loops that go around the,
1: the park and that go through, like, you know, by the boat basin and stuff, I mean, you know, I get the fact that we want, you know, a pollution-free environment and that we want a park that was really meant for what it was meant for originally. But somehow, you know, taxicabs cutting through, right? We Uber cut, cars? I
4: cut through all the time. To go to the upper east side, cut, cut through the cut not through. anymore. <laughs> right.
1: yeah, but the well through the transverse is gonna stay, right? The Transverse right. is gonna stay, but sometimes yeah. the park roads, you know, within or make a little more sense. Yeah, up sunshine. to seventy
4: second street is always open during the what day. What about
1: the two wheel vehicles? <laughs> I guess that's gonna be okay. Crisis. Wow! Well, that's
3: pollution-free. So
5: that's pollution-free. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that's on the agenda right. for I, I, the De Blasio. I have no
3: idea. Keep
6: it Keep up. You think
1: <laughs> well, I think we Mr. De Blasio, yeah, yeah. Mr. De Blasio needs a lot of help with a lot of things. So if this is a priority, <laughs> that's quite all right.
4: <laughs> that's a hard thing to argue against because it is a park. So well, I agree.
1: I mean, like yeah, there are there are definitely pros and cons, me. but I want to see six months from June what what the real Metrics. reaction
2: yes. sure.
7: yeah is yeah. with with.
2: How much we us saved on pollution and how much health? Oh, well, it's going to be right. way. Worse.
7: Well, we'll have Forever. environmental studies on that, which will cost us up to two hundred million dollars. By the way, I read.
1: <laughs> Saving. I read something where he said that you know it's going to cut down on lots of accidents in the park with cars, etc. And I think well. In my world these days, bikes are more dangerous on the streets oh, of absolutely. New York City. No In the park, out of the park, anywhere, they're much more dangerous trikes, than a car. Those little. Well, I mean, it's. <laughs> so, I mean, let's. You know, it's. The
3: bikes that are
4: attached to and the bike. Kid
1: wagon.
5: The bikes and trikes. <laughs>
4: trikes. Aren't that not what they call those uh, <clears throat> little things yes. that you pay,
3: like a little taxi cab?
2: Oh, those are yeah. those Oh, those are
1: three-wheelers. Yeah. We can
2: start that. We can start calling them trikes. Trikes.
6: motorcycle <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's
4: called a trike. Yeah. <laughs> All right,
1: anyway, moving on. Our two Back guests to today, Alfred Renner uh, brings seasoned sales, marketing management, and technology savvy to the uh, position of managing director of Eastside Sales for Douglas Element. As such, he plays a key role in the organic growth of the company's flagship Eastside office, implementing innovative programs and facilitating the work of the agents because he knows that even the largest real estate company is no bigger than each individual agent's performance. Alfred boasts a successful management style that instills confidence and fosters every agent's unique business style. And believe me, every agent is is unique to themselves. A native New Yorker, Alfred deeply uh, understands the city's real estate market and has a passion for the creative and strategic marketing uh, possibilities inherent in web technologies, consumer, business-to-business applications, a graduate of Long Island University with a BS degree in business marketing. He also took real estate studies at NYU and the renowned computer technology program at Columbia University. Joanne Douglas is a powerful negotiator who is well-regarded in the industry of her profession, market insights, and impressive credentials, said Howard Lorber, the chairman of that company, Douglas Elliman, Joanne and her colleagues are a terrific asset to Element, he says. With a capacity for innovative thinking, branding, and marketing coupled with outstanding financial and investment skills from her former career in the design, marketing, and manufacturing of innovative sporting accessories, Joanne looked to her greatest passions, architecture, design, and most especially real estate. A market-savvy and top-producing agent at Element, she is often enlisted as a speaker and expert at the top broker seminars and has guest lectured with Barbara Corcoran, star of Shark Tank, as we all know, at NYU and Marymount College. Barbara, in fact, wrote the foreword of her recently published co-authored book, Negotiating New York life, love, and the pursuit of real estate. So I mean, wow, what a what a what a card that is for both of you. Good wow, morning. you did your homework.
6: <laughs> <laughs> he can always read right. real well.
1: <laughs> Thanks to the Element website. Where else would I go, right? All right. <laughs> well, so superstars. I mean, seriously, you know, we have a we have a little program here that you know that we get the top superstars in the industry, whether they're managers or whether they're brokers and such. And it's always interesting for me, being around this business for 16 years, to talk to people who have such a. And, you know, several times on this program, we talk about younger people starting out in this business, you know, today more than ever, right out of college before it used to be a second or third or fourth career for all of us coming from doing something first or second into, into this, this world. And today, it's uh, we've opened the doors to just about anybody out of school who has a passion for this business. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the the, the folks like us who have been around this business for a very long time to kind of hold up the pillars of, of you know, each of these firms. Alfred, I want to start with you, you know, sort of agent culture within large real estate firms. You know, how, how do you as a manager and, and with your management team establish the, the culture in a company like Douglas Elliman that's so big uh, to, to foster, I guess, success within the agent rank where people feel comfortable working there?
7: When I first started at Douglas Elliman about 12 years ago, Dottie Herman hired me. And one of the things that she instilled in everybody is to bring culture to the to the company. And you kind of think about that. Well, doesn't culture just sort of create itself? But not necessarily, because you can you can help to direct that. So, Douglas Elliman is a very very large company. We have several thousand agents in New York City. Uh, we're about six or seven thousand agents across the United States. So, how do you develop culture in such a large organization? We all love coming together. So that we feel the size and the power of the company, yet it's very easy to get lost in a company that size. So within our own office or each of the other offices, we kind of get hokey. We create little wine and cheese events, chats, talks, conversation. We pull agents into offices and do quick little meetings or various types of education. It's all for the purpose of agents coming together so that they share information. And the purpose of sharing information is to expand your own business platform. And wouldn't you agree, though, that the, the <coughs> company culture, or
1: whatever you want to define it as, also is important outside of the firm? So when your agents are out there on the street interacting with their buyers and their sellers and their renters and even other agents in the industry, that culture that they sort of you know adopt within their company Plays even better outside. I mean, I know at Halstead we we have what we call a tremendous, I think, family-oriented culture, and I think it enables us as agents to be out there and and be better identified because I think we're nicer. You know, not that we're saying anybody else is not, but this is you how are. we feel. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not saying that anybody Nicely else is you not. Nicely, say but,
3: that. <laughs> well, it's a very
1: supportive
3: <clears throat> environment, and and it's it's kind of like a palatable
1: thing. Yeah, and I. But but my my point is, I think outside of our in outside of our firms. The culture should expand because I think that's what people uh, relate to, and I think that's why people want to come back and do repeat business. So we're going to ask Joanne about her very successful business. So people don't come back to you unless you you are a nice person or you do have you know a certain way about you. You're a professional.
7: Well, you know, you wear the badge of your company when you're outside, right? So you wear that culture. You bring that culture with you wherever you go, whether right. you're you're meeting another agent or a buyer or a seller. And oftentimes you'll hear oh, it's an Element agent or it's a Corcoran agent or a Halstead agent, so we like dealing with those agents. And I think people... people the reputation
3: pay. proceeds. Exactly.
7: And, and, and that's that's really I, I, important. We aren't the firms that we are, and we
1: haven't been around all of these years by accident. And and I guess that's basically what it is. We, we kind of get it, and we're doing the right things.
4: There is still a very different culture in each company. And having been with Halstead for 15 years, then Corcoran for 15 years, and now at Douglas Element. I could say that the to me that trying to look at it from the outside after having left the culture started from the top.
6: Mm -hmm.
4: Whoever started that company, whoever was the president of the company, that's where the culture started. Who do they attract as their managers? Who do the managers attract as the brokers? Right. And like Alfred, for instance, when he was at Corcoran, they had taken an additional floor, and he handpicked every broker for the floor. In fact, it was called Club 18. And there was (laughs) a different culture on that floor than even down on the 11th floor. I think that's what
1: I was getting at because Mm -hmm. it really, that's really where it starts. And people have to, you know, feed that culture and feel comfortable in that culture and want to be there. And then it just kind of, you know, translates outside. Joanne, you know, you just said how long you've been in the business. So that's very, uh, it's remarkable. What drives you every day to continue the tremendous success that you've had through the years? I mean, does it get old?
4: You know, it, it doesn't. You have uh, ups and downs. I think just like my, uh, what I do, which I shouldn't do, is I never plan a vacation. So usually if we're going to go somewhere. When you plan um, it, it doesn't happen. Uh, right. When you plan and it, you get
2: busier. Then yeah, you get busier. That's right? I, and saying, I always do a deal I when I go
1: away. I need to do that, Pretend you going right? away.
4: Yeah. <laughs> but I tend to then sort of crash, you know, and I'll just, you know, one morning I'll get up, I'll say, oh my goodness, I can't, I, I don't want to leave the apartment. Uh, but we often travel as a family and even then, we'll say, should we go to Italy? And we'll like, you know, call up Amex and see if we can get some seats on a plane. Well, you know, you <laughs> can do
1: really well last minute sometimes. <laughs> I subscribe to that. Sometimes you plan in advance and you think you're getting a good deal, but you're not. No,
4: you're not getting a good deal. A lot
1: of last minute deals are great. Um, so you wake up still with that, with that. But little- I still,
4: yes, you know, I, th- I think that if you're going to do anything for so many years, as I think all of us have been busy you don't have a passion for it, where does the energy come from? Right. And I just, I I can't get enough of architecture and design and seeing beautiful homes or seeing homes that are not so beautiful and knowing what they could be and, you know, introducing that to people who haven't seen it. And And No two days are the same. Never. And no two markets are the same. Absolutely. And,
3: I mean, there's nothing boring about it. I mean, there are days that are certainly boring or
2: less than (laughs) than (laughs) pleasing, but, I mean… You're also, getting I, to help people and every situation is different too. Or, is and exciting. I've made some amazing friends over exactly, the years.
6: Yes.
1: Well, you you make lifelong friends you in do. this industry more than any other job I've ever had. And I just was speaking at an expo last week, and I said, you know, um, I think you have to have passion in this to do this. And certainly, like I think my message was, this is not a job. I mean, you know, it's not a nine to five job where you go to you you hate it, you don't like it, you hate your boss, lifestyle. whatever. It's a lifestyle, and it's it's uh, it's a profession. So. That's what we do, I think, to make it successful. We have a lot more to talk about. We have to leave it there. Take a break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. We will be right back.
0: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
8: It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products it only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees.
0: Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. back with Joanne Douglas and Alfred Brenna, and we're talking
1: about successful careers in uh, real estate. And these two veterans can certainly write the book. Well, we're going to talk about that very soon. Alfred, how important is technology and innovation uh, for agents within a firm? I mean, everybody runs around saying technology, technology
7: in lots of firms, most especially in real estate. Tell us why. Technology is extremely important in that it just needs to work. It's like elevators. That helps. You know, we need elevators, right? We don't think about it until they stop working. It's the same thing with technology. It just needs to work so that we can do our jobs every day. What are
1: agents asking for today that they may not have had a year ago? Because I've, I've learned, you know, I'm old enough to, to remember when we had no technology or very, very little, and certainly in the real estate industry. But what are they looking for today? Because stuff changes so rapidly.
7: What else can we possibly get? That's to? a very good question. And I have to say it's generational type of a question. Mm-hmm. So if you take people perhaps above the age of 40, they're not looking for technology to do their job. They're just looking for technology to get information. Right. But then when you have millennials come into the office, they're looking for technology not only to do the job, but to do the thinking and the creating and the answering. They have a different perspective on what technology is supposed to do. And there is no intelligence out there that can replicate the thinking, the reasoning that a good broker has in their head. It's just not there.
1: And why is that? Because it's a very intuitive business. And it's between you and me in a relationship and, and me and Anna in a relationship as my clients. And you know, technology isn't going to
7: help establish that relationship, I think, and it's not going to help you make any more business. No, the technology just brings you and I together, but right. at that point, you step off of the technology and then we're communicating. and how successful? I mean, how how easy is it to create a
1: successful team? You know, when I first started in this business, teams really didn't exist, and there may, may have been some partnerships, you know, uh, in a, in my office on the upper west side, but there really weren't teams. And all of a sudden through the years, teams have become the rage, okay? And lots of them and big teams and small teams. We had somebody here recently that's on a team of 12. Um, How do you create a team? Why is it necessary? And when you do, how do you keep it fruitful and successful, ongoing?
4: Right. Well, in the case of the Douglas team, uh, it started out with my late husband and I were the team. And people just started calling us the Douglas team. And so, it started back at Halstead. And so, of grew organically and then we needed an assistant you guys were together
1: for a very long time even back in the corcoran days right
4: we were and then um so then uh, donna joined our team my sister donna who's here uh and i had an assistant who has been with me now for 19 years so some of that was organic growth as i needed new people they they joined us and so when now we just added Uh, somebody in their 30s who is our assistant, uh, but he's also a broker. And the first thing he Asked for were apps that were not available to the brokers. <laughs> no, there <you> <laughs> yeah, there's no Photoshop app, on here. <laughs> thats my point. Absolutely, I can't wait for marketing. Can yeah. I get Photoshop? Gets you it, in the now. Oh, good. it does. Yeah, it was great. So he's got all these apps now on his computer, and he's always coming up with something new. And he's like, whips these things out. It's just amazing. How many people are on your team? I don't know. What do we have now, Donna? Nine, I think. Nine.
1: All right, that's a big team. It is. So, you know, that's why, you know, we, we go from three people, uh, three mm-hmm. member teams to 12 people, nine, I mean, and they're, they're big. How do you coordinate all that during the day? I mean, how involved do you get as the team leader with each and every one of those members? Uh, or do you?
4: You know, I do and I don't. It depends on what's going on in each of their business and if I'm a part of the business or if they're, it's just business they're doing under the umbrella of the Douglas team. We have a new broker on our team, and she requires more time than, say, a broker that's on our team for many years and just does the business that she's been doing for all that time. It's all her repeat. How
1: difficult is it working with siblings on a day-to-day basis? I mean, I love my siblings, and we are very tight and very close. I'm not so sure I could work with them every day. I don't don't know. know. No,
4: we have a great time.
7: Um, we
9: don't. Here's the (laughs) matter. We
4: (laughs) do.
7: I have to remind myself (laughs) that when. A sibling comes in to ask a business question, yeah. my response needs to be the same way right. as a non-sibling right. comes in and asks the question. Oh, yeah. oh I'm glad you said so
4: that. <laughs> <laughs> I've <been> admitted <meaning laughs> you've got to this so, <laughs> so that's that's, that's well, he's my the challenge. Of the group this morning. <laughs> right. So he's the right. <laughs> right. that that.
1: It's a very challenging. That's situation. my challenge. That must
4: be challenging. So no sure. no no favoritisms.
1: Remember that, okay, ladies? I know. All right, So what happened, Alfred? What happened to the boutique firms that, you know, years ago started and they were going to take over the real estate world? All of these big firms, Halstead, Cochran, Element, were going to fold and they're all going to be Become you know the boutique land of real estate. Now I see the flip of that, and the in the big giants seem to be getting bigger and seem to be going nowhere. Where are these boutique firms? Or what really has happened to that business model?
7: You know that's a very good question. I I think a lot of the boutique firms still exist, um, and I will often send someone there if they're a brand new agent. Unfortunately, I can't hire brand new agents because. There's an enormous amount of time and commitment to that person and I don't want them getting lost in the in the mix. So I'll sometimes recommend that they go to a very small boutique firm, which was started up by brokers who branched off from a larger company, and they they have the ability to generate leads, handhold those those new agents and feed them leads so they can gain experience in the business. So you know, a big firm is not necessarily for everybody and you need these small firms. Then you have the other types of firms, boutiques where they're highly experienced luxury agents, and they just work on their own because they have a roster of clients from decades back.
1: All right, before we get to the book, let me ask you your thoughts on the million-dollar listing uh, brokers in your company. You seem to have several of them from Ellumne, uh, from The West Coast or East Coast. What is the philosophy to, at Douglas Ellumne with regard to these reality real estate TV shows? Do, do you derive any kind of um, special notoriety from
7: having these people? Yes. No matter where I go, people seem to ask me about Frederick. <laughs> I was giving it Frederick different. and his high kicks. Listen, you can't. Manage, you know. He doesn't go high kicking down Fifth
2: Avenue in real life, <laughs> no. though.
7: I but know. those shows are really popular, yeah. and what I can say is, there's no bad press. Each one of those agents that have joined the million dollar listing, their careers have skyrocketed. They have taken off. Yeah. Buyers and sellers want to work with celebrities. You know, that, that's,
1: that's a phenomenon, I guess. You know, we need probably more more of that, maybe, or some people will say less than that. But I will tell you, though, these guys and gals on these shows, real. I watch all of them, uh, all the two of them, and I think they do a tremendous job. I happen to be a big fan of, uh, of Fred's. We've done work together. All right, let's get to the book. So Barbara Corcoran says, this is a wonderful, life-affirming story. Everybody knows who Barbara Corcoran is. So tell us what, what – made you guys sit down and think about coming up with a book because I've been saying for 16 years in this business wait until my book comes out of course <laughs> I haven't even sat down to do it yet but <laughs> what is what is you know what was the impetus to to put together your thoughts over many years in the business and come out with a book what did you what was your your goal with this
4: uh, oh. we didn't have a goal we were sitting having dinner at cognac right down the street here yeah, because I we block love being that's my <laughs> breakfast <laughs> right, work, right. <laughs> and we love like and we love the awning because it's you know it's got that red awning totally. and it's like everybody looks really good there when you sit outside <laughs> and we were talking about something funny that had happened and I, I was saying you know this is really funny let's go back to my apartment which happens to be a block away and write it down so we did and then we met again the following week and we read it out loud. We would take turns reading it, and it was like, and we'd be laughing. Wow, this is really funny. Is this funny? I we, was think like, funny. we
7: think it's funny. think it's funny.
4: And so we kept doing that, and we kept writing stories of just funny things that happened. Uh, then some agent heard about us. I'm just making this story part of the story very short. And she then told a publisher about us and about the rent of family and that we're all in real estate and that we were thinking about writing a book about real estate. So this publisher came to meet with us, and we spent two and a half hours drinking wine at my kitchen table and laughing. And then he said, well, what's the name of the book? And we said, Negotiating New York. And his eyes came out of his head. Apparently, he's all about the name of the book. He thinks that the title is the most important part of the book. We signed a contract, and then we had to write it.
1: The book book is Negotiating (laughs) New York, Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Real Estate, which I thought was fantastic. So a couple of points from the book, Spotting the Quirks and tactics of realtors. I mean, we could write a book just on
4: (laughs) agent (laughs) behavior, right? right. The little signals we give each other.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and another one is jumping through hoops to make yourself and your dog more attractive to even the toughest of co-op boards. I mean, you know, people might be listening to this saying, are these people crazy in New York City? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Yes, 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 we are. (laughs) are. (laughs) But what does that really mean? The dog has to be, some dog breeds have to be interviewed by the co-op board members before they will let you in to live in a building. And they
4: have to be trained. You have to train those dogs to behave before they go yeah on the floor for your interview yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> and
7: you have to prep the dog before the interview
4: yeah everybody goes for
7: you know a blowout <laughs> <laughs> you know I've only
1: had one dog interview in my 16 year career you know with and 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 so the, the couple said to me well how do I prep my dog for an interview and I said I don't know give just it a bath. F- <laughs> give it a bath make them smell nice but do whatever you your dog likes to do very fun and cheerful just come up with something and make it happen of course they passed but who knows? <laughs> the race from open house to offer and bidding tooth and nail. I mean, we all know the the horrors with with the buying bidding, an apartment in wars. New York. Bidding wars. Tell us a quick story about you know from the book about just that. I mean,
4: oh, um, I think it's in the book because we had so many stories and of course some of them got edited out. Uh, we had a duplex penthouse wreck. Put it on the market. A mm-hmm. uh, an entertainment person came and this was a white glove. You know, Upper East Side Co-op. He nickel and dimed us all the way. Finally, the contract got drawn up, and then the the attorney, his attorney, called me, said, "Well, you need to sign a non-disclosure that no one will ever learn that he lives in the building." Okay, you needed ten copies of the board package going from our mail right. room, no, right. you know, right. to the managing <laughs> agent, to <laughs> right. the building. I'm sorry, I can't sign that. Oh, I'm on, I'm not releasing this contract. Well, in the interim, we got another call, and in that case, the couple's. One of the mothers was the president of something like the Union Club, or I don't want to say the exact club on here. And um, so they made an offer, and I was like, it's not high enough. And they came back, and they kept coming. So anyway, they ended up about $200,000 over, wow. uh, uh, over the other guy. And so we had to get this, we had to speak to, during this whole process, by the way, I was interviewed by the president of the board before I could become the Wow. Broker oh, of that wow. apartment.
7: That's control. That was, yeah, right? she had a total, white girl. She she was like, like, the like
4: queen. Glitter. She was That's a queen. She was a queen. It's yeah. like silver.
0: And, <laughs> and I had to
4: talk to her about every buyer. And she's like, "Well, uh, you know, I do admire a self-made person." Oh, <laughs> I did watch. I did watch his show. It was rather violent, oh. by the way. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, oh, and oh, I like this other couple. Let me talk to the board. Well, so now, oh, and it's... Mr. Entertainment. Bumps his bid up By a million point two dollars Because <gasps> he can Because
1: Right <laughs> Oh wow. Now that's worthy oh of writing I thought I've <laughs> seen Some crazy <laughs> stuff
4: yeah, oh, okay. my goodness. And don't no. tell me
1: that the board turned him down. After
4: they that. did. Oh, no. they did. They said, no. Unbelievable. No, you you go didn't go through the application. Got but it. apparently you went around town saying say he did. Well, yeah, was the pre-vetting. Did you they sign went, that
10: form? Did you, have to, did you have to sign that disclosure form thing they wanted you to sign? Or no, of course not. I never okay. did. No.
4: And so um, and I was dealing for with a million the million bank dollars. at the time. I know. Imagine. a 1.2 million less. And, of course, they loved the couple. Uh, and because their mother was, you know, a perfect is. club. <laughs> and um, they probably went to the interview with white gloves on, you know, and pearls. And so <laughs> yeah. they, they passed That's the crazy. board. And,
7: and Ferragamo Flats.
4: Again. <laughs> All
1: right. The book is called wow. Negotiating New York Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Real Estate by Joanne Douglas and Alfred Renner. The heartwarming stories and knowledge of this family will pull you in while the charming prose of Douglas will make you want to become an official Rena family member. They are going to stick with us for the rest of the hour. We are live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number one Internet Talk Station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
2: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America talk radio network wherever you go.
0: You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. We're back. Alfred Renner and uh, Joanne Douglas from Douglas Element are going to stay
1: with us. Phil Horgan is here from... Uh, freely and leasebreak.com, Anna Shagala from Halstead, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. All right, so moving on. The number of sales in the borough in the first quarter of 2018 dropped 25% below the same period a year ago to a level of decline not seen since the early days of the Great Depression, and that was nine years ago. Nine years ago. My God, all of that translates <laughs> into a depression. hard turn away from <laughs> a seller's greatest. market, but there's more that goes into a low offer than just lopping off 15% of the asking price. Sure, I just got an offer 45% off the asking price just because. So wow. let's talk about this. We are you know, officially in a buyer's market. I mean, everybody kind of cringes to say that, but the fact of the matter is we are. How is this affecting your businesses?
3: I think you just have to you know, get off on the right foot, really. I mean- Everyone's going to try to negotiate, prepare your sellers, get on the market at the right number if you can. Um, and I think there's, it, it's such a moving target right now, pricing properly, that you know that right there is, is, is important to manage your sellers, to, to make them understand we're That's doing the exactly. best we can. And um, people are going to try to negotiate. But if you can support your numbers, then there's only so much that they can. And I'm finding that people are kind of coming, to, it's just taking a little bit longer but the right buyers do come around um, and they come around 3 4 times but then they you know they well, kind of come to the table
10: one thing a little scary recently i had an open house and there was zero people came to the open house i have Never had zero people had, I don't care that's how That's a lot for this market I, <laughs> <laughs> I would say like And, Congratulations. and, and this Yeah sure it, it was a little overpriced But uh, Even when I've had Overpriced so things You still get You still get Lucky The lose. buyer look lose You lose Somebody can't. You can't One or two overpriced. Give me one person Give me two people Give me three people Zero I've had that zero That to me is a sign I've, I've we had, had that. zero yeah.
1: yeah I've
3: had zero And a, and a Recently, great Recently Or loft. you mean just like Recently Yeah, yeah this year Great loft And Yeah,
1: Yeah You're not alone So that's That's a sign right there That unfortunately is a club, you know. Yeah. From zero attendance. Zero is, club is a, is a club. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I hate mm-hmm. to say it. You know, we prepare so strongly and so emotionally and so passionately for open houses. Sometimes, depending on what it is, and you know, sometimes no one comes. It's just I, back I the can matter.
7: tell you this. I I create a contract, a monthly contract sign report at Douglas Element. I analyze all of the transactions at the at the company <clears> on a <throat> monthly basis, and I will go back one year and see how we were doing in April of the previous year to this year. Oddly enough, the number of transactions is roughly the same. The sales volume is down. And what's down is that we are selling more lower-priced properties and not so much right. of the higher-priced properties. Right. Sure, we have an occasional $60 million, $35 million in those deals. They still come in. But overall, the it's probably the three to... $10, $15 million market that I think has been hardest hit at yeah, this So transactionally, Completely.
1: you're seeing about the same amount of deals, but they're Roughly not. Roughly the same amount of deals, rated. they're
7: just not the high-priced yeah. deals. So that that sweet spot that we all like so much, that $3 sure. to $15 market yeah. is, million million market is the market where it's come down somewhat. There's the most inventory
2: and the fewest number of buyers. Right,
7: but if you look at the under $3 million market and what the absorption is, the absorption rate is still um, very, very high compared to the rest of the market. So yeah. you can say the market is really divided into many different types of markets. Uh, I, thank you. I was, just, yeah.
1: I was talking about that last week at the Expo. We're not in one marketplace. No, really. no We're not at all. Segments,
2: different markets, yeah.
7: different segments, Co-ops, different condos, prices. price point, locations. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And also okay. this commodity and specialty properties. Commodity right. properties are just like that two-bedroom line and the C-line, yeah. and there's 100 of them. Those are the ones that seem to be most affected, and people are super price conscious of those. But then you go to the, the specialty property, the three-bedroom with the fireplace, wrap terrace views right. and all of that. Right. You have Hard a much bigger, much bigger swing. Mm-hmm. Even if it's overpriced, people will still come to see that property. And don't you right. all agree that I think the agents today in, in this
1: multiple market scenario that we're in – uh, have a di- more difficult time because they're not used to it. We're used to either a high market, seller's market, you know, medium market kind of transition, and then a buyer's market where, you know, anything goes. But when you have... Diff- look, there are still bidding wars in some places. There are still over-asking prices. Especially price under millions. yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So... That's the multiple different kind of markets, and I think sometimes, especially the younger agents, don't really understand how to grasp that, you know. And some of uh, the senior agents are are having. It's, a, it's a hard
3: it. thing to explain to your sellers too, as I was saying earlier, because they're reading these uh, reports, these media reports about the global market or the the uh, local market and they don't really they don't segment them out in those in those reports so it's so, and so across mm-hmm. town is doing this you know I should be doing the same
5: right. you know, uh, and and
3: that's, it doesn't it doesn't match
5: and that's a note to other brokers is to be able to like read between the lines and find out what the actual context uh, means to the specific seller that you're particularly working with you know if you see the The price points at a very high number, and they're going to say, "All right, well, I want to get these price points." But then you have to talk. What Tracy was saying is, you got to take take into account. Okay, well, that's that's a co-op. This is a condo, you know, and then really work through all of those different um, variables. I mean, there's there's tons of variables that you really have to sift through. And it's not just like you know, if you're looking in Gramercy condos in Gramercy, you have to say, "All right, well, what other condos are similar type to this in other neighborhoods?" that I should be you know if I'm working with a buyer be bringing my buyers to because you know there are there are comps um for condos in Gramercy in the West Village for example for certain uh, property types in like high end condos so it's really important to understand all different aspects of it and the variables um, and then be able to deliver that effectively to whoever you're working and with.
10: That's where an agent really comes into play. I was play. just going to say that. like, And the just value that. of an agent. Well, and well, I, yes. I, and I like- always, and I think that, um, you know, there are some industries that got decimated by computers and technology the reason why I think real estate has not is because that, like we talked about earlier, the the variables, the intricacies, the human connection, the yep. there's just so much experience that's required. I think to help a buyer make right. the right decision, you know,
3: they need we're it. Not they not need obsolete. more advice. They need more advice than they realize. Yeah, buyers yeah. and sellers. Buyers, buyers have and
7: buyers have the ability to obtain a lot of information, but they don't have perspective on the that practice. information.
3: Synthesize it to crop. Yeah, yeah. And we're we coming at it. we're coming at it from the inside out.
4: But I think They're buyers are outside, still intimidated by our market. And we have, you know, of our housing stock, what is 70% is still co-op right? yes, You, know, if you exactly. uh, if for sale properties, yes, right? And that's, and that's, I mean, exactly. what is it, is
7: 25% of... 25% is owned, uh, is 75% owned is rental. rental. Exactly. Yeah, right. right,
4: so of right. all Manhattan, you take 25% of our housing stock. Of that, 70% are co-ops. And so here's another part of this segment of the market. If you have, let's say, an estate sale... But the board, you know, you know the board's going to turn down a price that's too low. The hardest thing to sell right now is an apartment that needs work in a Mm -hmm. Mm co-op. Tell me about it. I've got (laughs) got a a couple. (laughs) We we have a couple too. And, you know, we've had offers that are too low. We just know the board won't accept it. We had one where we actually had to bring in a contractor to put in a new kitchen because the there was no kitchen, basically. Ah. And the board said we will not take anything less than X amount and it wasn't <laughs> going to sell for that. Yeah, she well, said that Yes. Huh?
3: In, no. in those situations the the buyer actually has to have more than that that typical two years worth of, of liquidity right. of the mortgage Correct. and maintenance because mm-hmm. they have to afford the Renovation as well. That's right. So it becomes so much harder to vet those
1: people. So let me ask you something because that's very interesting. Uh, the points that you're making, uh, but what what does it do to the seller's psyche when you know the board has a threshold of what they will allow a sale to be? We are in a marketplace where you can't be so strong in in buying power, you know, price wise seller could sit on the market for a very long period of time trying to achieve that number that both they want and the board wants, what happens? You know, uh, obviously you don't sell, but uh, at, at
2: some point the board yes. actually might have to change and and uh, they're the last ones, as we know, but, right? but if but if it starts to become a financial hardship for the owner, for the shareholder mm-hmm. at some point the board does have to readjust.
1: I um, have a I have a I condo agree. building on the west side that I've sold in for years and I talk about it all the time. And you know, they're a condo board and they have a threshold of a certain price point. They
2: can buy it themselves, then exercise their right of first refusal. And they did
1: once, and I kind of scolded them about that, and it was a whole big drama. However, they still stick to a certain price per square foot in this condo, and a lot of times, depending on the line in that building, size of apartment, whatever – it's not achievable and there's all kinds of potential issues but
4: they just sit on the market but that's interesting that they too they sit
1: on the market it's that, interesting you bring in
4: worse for the building yeah but the condo, yeah. condo boards are have been morphing into more yes, like, like co-op boards mm-hmm. and i'm not sure is it purpose? the managing agent that, that's no, sort of creating the members ego members of the board, it's it's like board. Of the board they once they're in mm-hmm. and i, mean, I think I've, it's a
1: combination in my opinion a combination of both. Uh, yes i think the the managing agents who aren't good enough can't advise these board members well enough and I really believe that that's where it starts. Of course, the board. mentioned some
4: bad ones? <laughs> <laughs> no. We want this
3: show to keep running. But
1: seriously, I think that's really what it comes down to because right. at the end of the day, you know, you can want what you want, but you're not going to necessarily get it. And if, if right. you know,
7: you know, there's a little workaround with that. So if the board does like the prospective buyer, they will advise that a higher selling price, yeah. yet rebate at the after closing mm-hmm. table. Yeah. yeah. Sneaky, sneaky. Well, well, that's, that's what it takes. It's a workaround. Yeah, a workaround. for sure workaround. Yeah.
2: <laughs> then I have one other thing I wanted to say that I've had a number of my exclusives in this market listed both for rent and for sale, and they've been renting. Yeah, yeah, it's Just yes. astounding to see kind of the rebound better. of you the know, rental same market. Here yeah,
10: yeah. Same
3: yeah. Actually, that I
2: thought, my are gone. I, I, now. I was shocked mm-hmm. that no. some that's of them have sitting,
10: sitting that way. We're getting multiple offers on good properties. It was what's not helping the sales prices either is the fact that the rental market overall is still not doing well in terms of pricing. Correct. So if vacancies. Or, yeah. yeah, so if you're a buyer and you're considering renting, you've got a lot of options. Correct. I mean, so th- there, I remember there were times where the rental market was so tight, it was forcing renters into the buying market. Correct. We we're love not, that. We're not, de- <laughs> we're not dealing with that Bring those days back, though. please. Though.
3: Yeah. We are also going into the rental season. Yes. Yeah.
7: So yeah. It's now the stronger rental yeah. season. And, and, and June now. is the biggest month, is that correct? Yeah.
3: June, July, August.
7: Yeah. But yeah. 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 April, summer. May
3: are also strong
2: in September, too. Right.
1: Well, we've got a couple of minutes left to this segment. Let me ask, let's change gears a little bit. There are many uh, changes in how consumers and even agents in our in our business look at listings in New York City. How do you think buyers have reacted to the changes on street easing, if they have, and what has this done to the broker community? Is it possible that New York City will have an MLS system someday? a most 16 years system
2: th- for those you Well,
1: know. all these 16 years that I'm in this business, we've talked about it. It's gotten shot down. We've talked about it, shot down. Will we ever have an MLS system?
3: You know, Somewhere we can speak freely. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, right.
1: That's right.
10: Good. That's a good freely, one. Go freely. Freely. Um, you know, I <laughs> talked to Remni about this recently, and they maybe convinced me that we do have an MLS, and we've always had an MLS. The difference, I guess, in New York cuz you know you know the RLS it's called the RLS yeah. and that's what all the brokers share that information yeah. that is essentially an MLS but in New York City it's not public facing it's all between the firms, right? And then companies like well, that's like, nice in other markets. Well, but right, but other markets have this. Um, there's a database, where at least, the, the, at least where all the brokers can go, sort of. Like correct. so. So, in other words, the 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 Rebny RLS is not a place where the individual brokers can go to this database. And I shouldn't have said public facing. When I say public facing, I meant
2: broker community.
10: facing, at least, where the brokers. That that's the one <laughs> real difference. Otherwise, <laughs> we kind of have one, you know. Well, so the, I don't, you know, but the
7: yeah. other difference is that the data does not reside in one database. Right. That's the major difference. An MLS has one database when everybody feeds, feeds into, into and pulls well, out the, of a single database.
10: Well, the, RLS, the RLS does do that. I mean, the RLS... Now, the, Every if you're a Revenue member and you're an RLS member, which is probably 90-something percent, all those listings are in the RLS. Now, there are some listings that may be outside of that process, but all the exclusives, if you're... Uh, I don't remember what firm you guys are Douglas with. Douglas Elliman. Okay, Elliman uh, might be slightly different, okay? But I do know that all these firms... Opted in to the RLS, and I believe I believe Element did as well. Yeah. Um, Element opted in as well, right? So, um, so they're all opted into this RLS, which is sort of this community feed. Um, and I just know because, as as the as someone who's running a marketplace, we take the feed, we take the RLS feed. So I got a lot. I learned more about the RLS feed in the last say six
1: months than I. Than all I right. We 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 and have it. to leave it there for a minute. We are live from Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will continue on the other side of the break. Don't go away.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk
8: station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury Estate firm of the New York Yankees.
9: The Voice America Live Events channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events
0: stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you are listening to good morning new york real estate with vince rocco if you want to call into the program we're toll free in north america at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show.
1: Hey everybody. We are back with Phil Horrigan from freelyandleadsbreak.com. Anna Shagalov, Halstead Real Estate, Tracy Hammersley, Douglas Elliman, and Niall Lunger from Compass, and Alfred Renna and Joanne Douglas from Douglas Elliman are here with us as well. All right, so a couple of big deals on the Upper East Side have breathed life. New life into Manhattan's luxury market. According to a recent report, swanky downtown neighborhoods like Tribeca, Soho, and Flatiron have stolen the thunder in recent years from traditional upscale neighborhoods around Central Park. In the second week of March, while icy winds chilled New York's uh, Mm. environment, which of course they did to the bone, the real estate market heated up with the sale of a six-story townhouse on East 65th Street, making it the most expensive transaction in the borough. Admittedly, the $14 million sale price was significantly reduced, guess who's listening that was? Uh, from the original 22.5 million when it first went on the market in February of 2016, so down from 22.5 to a close price of 14 million. The house spans 10,000 square feet and has been divided into five units. The Upper East Side has been one of the success stories in luxury Manhattan real estate. Uh, amid a mixed time over the last two years. This is due, of course, to the 2nd Avenue subway line, which opened in January of 17, causing the New York Times to correctly predict a new cachet to addresses on 2nd Avenue and Eastwood. All right, so a townhouse on East 61st Street close to 2nd Avenue, fetching even $14 million, really, you know, in the past was kind of unheard of, right? Because it was too close to or too far away, rather, from, you know, your traditional subway Gold, lines on Gold Lexington Coast. Avenue is that and in, Gold and Coast. Coast. So, well, I mean, you know, what else is new on the Upper East Side, and do you think that that neighborhood is going to be able to retain those prices?
4: I think people are starting to see the Upper East Side as a place to get value and space. Now, here's a good example. Of, uh, I have a buyer who became a friend, and they bought a loft in Chelsea. Uh, I think it's eight years ago now. And they, I saw them the other day, and they were saying, I don't know what it is. I can't. I don't know if it's because I got older, or because Chelsea has changed. I can't stand being down here anymore. <laughs> and um, I think I want to be on the Upper East Side now. You know city. <laughs> <laughs> so Alfred and I once commented that the Upper East Side is the new downtown. And I think the Second Avenue subway is making a big impact. And I think we will see people, because downtown has become so congested. You can hardly move. And even
1: more than congested, it's so overpriced
7: compared yes. to every place else. I yes. agree with will what's correct. happening on it the Upper East Side. Trend. Yeah, That's yep. where we're seeing the greatest decrease in regional sales is downtown. It's always dominated the sales as compared to Midtown, East Side, and West Side. Yeah. Yeah. It's downtown, but that has the greatest drop in comparison to the other, other regions of Manhattan.
3: Mm. I have a lot of... Um, activity on this listing I have on 69th between 1st and 2nd. Now the Q train um, has an exit entrance right on 69th and 2nd. I have a lot of people coming in from outside the neighborhood and then I had some people come in that Lived in the building, and they're like, it's just, it's getting too crowded. We, you know, we don't. I mean, there's, there, there are uh-huh. perspectives for everything, sure. you know. And I just never really thought of it that way. I always thought, you know, if if every buyer that I told by to buy east of Second Avenue just listened to me and weren't so skeptical at all, right. Right. I mean, they'd way. all so be, true. you know, kissing my. Throat, that used to so. be a very
10: pre quiet neighborhood, though, right? 69th and First, right? I mean,
1: said so yeah, I guess you. Yeah, have yeah. It, it was very. Well, now, s- it was very sleepy. Now yeah, apparently sleepy, there you
10: know? are just like
1: like
3: tons of people Shipping like willing <laughs> right. to. The Train but, I mean, if you, and, if you and bought there, the
1: that,
10: yeah. thinking it was like this quiet, quiet little place, and that's exactly like, what so you could see. Where yeah. so it'll just be like you said, a transition. You know? I'm selling it a new development
1: building out. on 61st Street and 2nd Avenue. When I first took on the project, I thought, well, and this is going to be an exercise in fertility. I mean, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> I got to tell you something the amount of traffic and the amount of interest. And mostly from downtown. I can't tell you how many units I've sold to people from downtown. Very a lot of it is as their kids are getting older, they want to put them in some private schools on mm-hmm. the Upper East Side. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. get that, you know, right. it's always neighborhood dependent from schools, whatever. But I'm shocked at a lot of. Uh, what
2: percentage sold are you guys?
1: And I've got three left out of thirty. So yeah, we're, we're, whatever that is, it's it's worth it. It's also Finished, it's almost. also been
4: a design change where years ago, if somebody bought a pre-war apartment and they took the wall down between the dining room and the living room, that was like oh, or the, rather the dining room and the kitchen, that was like oh I mean, the, you killed the value, right? You destroyed. You destroyed. The they out the, the moldings, right? <laughs> <You> know, everything <laughs> had to stay pre-war. But now it's great bones. Yes, rip out the walls and make yeah. it more more loft-like. and have done it's well. Great. Yes, done well, well. I'm well. a pre-war air, bigot. Air, These guys. Well, mm-hmm. no,
1: I can go on about pre wars. Well, I live in one and I love them, but I agree with you, Joanne. I mean, you can, I've seen some lofty old world pre war buildings, you know, that have been renovated. I mean, made to look lofty. Right. Fantastic. Oh. How has New York City changed with respect to desirable places to live and, and the housing stock? Yeah, preside being one of them. Any untold stories, particularly with respect to resurgent neighborhoods? So the first question is, how many n- more neighborhoods can we turn <laughs> around? I mean, I think we've touched
7: just about everything, right? I think, we I think Yorkville is the last resurging neighborhood because of the Q train.
1: Right.
7: You know, since that Q and, train and has drought. come in, that, right. that has brought the prices up. There's also a slew wow. of developments, new developments slated um, for the next few years, all, sprinkled all over the Upper East Side, um, east of Third Avenue. It's many coming.
3: I think. I think. Um. You know. I'm a big fan of the Lower East Side because that's where I live. But south okay. of Delancey, there's just. I mean, I don't know if it's resurging. It's or it's like resurged. But um, it's um. There's just so much happening and so many people flocking to south of Delancey, which is not the part of Lower East Side that you you know.
2: You you think The about. north of Delancey.
1: Yeah. right? Well, that's know. a mm-hmm.
7: great part. That's a great part of town, by it's the way. Yeah. I live yeah. south I to of to Delancey. To, do you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw you crossing Delancey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, it's those yellow shapes.
5: <laughs> exactly,
7: exactly.
1: That's good. There's
2: also Hudson Yards, which is oh. kind of a, a new neighborhood that's being created. That's, I don't yeah. know if you can call it. That's actually a new city. Be, because being that's the seven city. train that is going there and the retail that they're mm-hmm. attracting, um, CNN is relocating from the Time Warner Center to Hudson Yards next mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. they're meant to. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be very interesting, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah, so so then what ha- I mean, I agree, uh, Alfred said before, you know, Yorkville, but one of the problems I have with all the new developments going to that neck of the woods is, you know, and I yell and scream about this regularly on this program as well, I mean, we're knocking down mom and pop corners and, and avenue yeah. stores that are three, four, five, six stories tall, and we're putting up these glass towers, and, you know, listen, I can sell them like anybody, but, you know, I still want to see my old world New York charm. When there I'm are some walking,
3: serious sad stories out there. Right? There
1: yeah. really are. And when you're walking up Second Avenue, just because I'm familiar these days more so because I'm selling on Second Avenue, it's kind of like you know, don't throw another building down. It, it's it's not looking like New York City anymore. Yeah. Right. I agree. Years ago, when they took the L down and out along Third Avenue, and they mm-hmm. built all these whatever, is that that was one thing. But now we're starting to knock down, you know, these mom and pop stores and Sunshine Cinema. It's not looking mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. I mentioned well, it
3: before, but mm-hmm. oh, it's gut wrenching. Oh, one. I didn't know.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you all New Yorkers for a long time? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you look around at the the landscape, what do you what what first comes to? Especially if I'm zipping by in a taxi and I and I just kind of look out the window, I think, where did my city go? Well, where is it going? It's still beautiful,
2: though, Vince. I mean, it's it still so it is amazing and still kind of inspiring. I still, when I'm on the plane, I like to sit on the left side so that you can see all the tall buildings when you come I back.
1: I did into last the city. night coming home too. Yeah, so yeah. It,
2: it, it is still. It's New York City. Yeah,
1: and or, what makes it New York
10: is the fact that it changes all the time. That's one correct, of the reasons why yeah. I, I love it. I love the fact that every five years is something else going on, and it's a different neighborhoods yeah. you can live in, and new stores going up, and new restaurants.
1: And
2: each neighborhood you know? is like its own city.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. It is. So what is the best? We, we have 30 seconds left. What is the best part of town for you all? We just heard from uh, Anna saying the Lower East Side is her favorite. Where, if you needed to make one more move in your New York City lifetime.
2: Chelsea was just integrated, it but it's been my home for nine years. And I adore mm-hmm. it. after being an East Side girl for 14 years before that.
1: And Chelsea, as Joanne said earlier, has changed. Or her mm-hmm. client said earlier, it has really changed significantly. Niall, where would you? West Village. Thank
7: you.
10: I think further north, actually. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the 80s now and I think further north.
7: Yeah. On the west or east? West side. Okay. yeah, mm. I love the art installations at Madison Square Park. Nice.
4: That is Very a great area. Nice. Yeah. I would move to the east 70s somewhere.
1: Been there, done that. <laughs> all right, so my choice is also the West Village. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> On that note, we are out of time. That's it for me. That is our show for today. Thank you to my guests, Alfred Rennan, and Joanne Douglas, and of course, my esteemed panel, who I love dearly. Also, remember how wonderful life is while you are in this world, Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Be kind to one another, and for all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody.
6: Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.